Thank you so much, Frank. Good morning. I probably don't need to say this, but this is not a job for me. This is a calling. And of all the things that I do, this is the most important thing. Uh, This is the thing that I live for all week long. And this is the thing, I shouldn't even use the word thing. That's not very good diction. But this is the moment. This is the time. This is in God's word. When I'm praying and asking him to move in our midst in a way that will encourage and challenge, and most of all, make a difference. And sometimes the things that that we learn that are revealed to us or that are implanted, it may not be new, but it may be new to us and it may be implanted in such a way that it changes us in some incremental way if not some significant way or some complementary way to the whole of what God is doing in our lives forevermore. And if you were to follow me around through the week, I think you would be quite astonished at how much I do and how much time goes into this moment. Uh, I'm not a machine. I am called And I hope that this morning God will move in your hearts, speak to your hearts in a way that is very rich because the things that I have to share this morning that are compelled by 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3 have been life-changing to me over the years. They may not be entirely new to you, but they may take on some body, some sense of dimension. They may be richer and fuller to you and, and therefore play a, a more important role in, in your life and your growth in Jesus Christ. It was many years ago when in in reading in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. In fact, if you have your New Testament, and I know you do, turn to to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This morning, you could call it the high point in what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through chapter 3, verse 5, is this expression, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Sometimes we're working to be transformed. We want that change. We want to become like Jesus. Jesus is beautiful. I'm not talking about his appearance. I imagine he was handsome enough. It's his his heart. It's his character. It's the content of what he did and what he taught who he was and what he did. 
that has captured my heart and captured yours. Because what he did was not just a man, it was God become flesh, incarnate, become human. To do things for us that we could never do for ourselves. And there are truths and things revealed that have become relevant to our existence, our being, the way we see the world because of what Jesus Christ did. And that we're different. But when I read Romans 12 and I understand the importance of worship, that fitting worship, it has to do with leaving things of the past behind, leaving things of my unaffected human nature behind and becoming who I'm meant to be in Jesus Christ. And that has to do with the transformation of my thinking and your thinking too. And we're going to see that as we read in 1 Corinthians So turn, if you haven't already, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I hope you will be reading in 1 Corinthians. Next Sunday we'll be in chapter 3. So please read ahead. You may recall from last Sunday, in the first five verses of this chapter, Paul reminded them, he's writing in a letter, we're holding that letter in our hands. He reminded them of how it was when he first came to them. And he came in the humblest manner. He didn't use eloquence. He didn't use the trappings that would suggest to the Corinthians, hey, wow, we should pay attention to this guy. This guy's really cool. He's a hot shot. Look at the, I mean, he's somebody. He's got a nine tape series and manuals that you can buy. No, he just elevated the cross. Now he says in verse 6, because they were looking for kind of a human flair and wisdom, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. In other words, this age is going to come to an end. It's an age. It doesn't last forever. It's a period. It's an era. This age will end, and its rulers and its wisdom will end with it. But, verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. In other words, a mystery is the exact word of God, which God decreed or ordained before the ages, before the eras, this era and the era to come. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him or her? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they're foolishness to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy And strife among you? Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. We have the mind of Christ. And in Christ, we can and should think differently. Thanks be to God, we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Jesus Christ. Paul's made it clear in these very verses we've read that when he says the mind of Christ, he is speaking of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. The very same Spirit that searches not only all things, but the deep things of God. For just as no one can know you better than you know yourself and your inner person, so the Holy Spirit is the very inner person of God, if you will. And now God has given freely you and me this inner person, this inner presence, the very mind, Paul calls it, of Jesus Christ. And why does he call it the mind of Christ? Because he wants us to appreciate and realize, and this is such an amazing thing, and this is, this is really critical and central to our thinking. 
He wants us to understand that because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine, we have the identity of Christ. We have claim, we have the reality of our identity in Christ because we have the Holy Spirit. And we are called spiritual people. And we have the very mind of Christ because of the Holy Spirit. But here's where it gets complicated. When the Spirit moves in, when the Spirit opens the front door and brings His stuff into this, His new home, He finds the home already furnished. I mean, we have been to every swap meet, bargain basement, rummage sale, garage sale, this side of hell. And every room is stuffed and crammed. Every space to the rafters and even up into the attic cluttered with opinions and attitudes and biases and prejudices that are alien to and foreign to what God thinks and feels and believes and what he wants to occupy and, as it were, glorify our lives, decorate our lives. Now, the Spirit wants to redecorate, rearrange, refurbish, rid us of a lot of those furnishings. Tuesday of this week, when I got home, Shelly and my daughter were there, and Shelly said to me as I walked in and greeted everyone, I want to remind you that this couch is going to go, and tomorrow we're getting the new couch. I remembered something about this. But I said, okay. Okay. And I eventually made my way out into the backyard to feed the birds and read a little bit before the sunset. When I came in after about an hour, the couch was gone. Gone! My son-in-law had come over and they'd taken the couch and there was this big space. And the very next day when I got home again, there was a new couch. I sat on it and I laid on it. Felt good. Then I went into the back of the house where Shirley was. I said, hi, sweetheart. Gave her a kiss. She said, have you seen the new couch? I said, yes. Have you sat on it? Yes. Did you lay on it? Yes. It's great. You know, after these many years, I really trust her. I trust her. She does things for me and in my life that I, I don't even ask her to do. She does them. And, and they help me become a better version of myself. She's good for me. But it wasn't always that way. I married Shelly for a lot of good reasons. I was in my right mind. 
But that redecorating and re- rearranging me, that I, that I didn't quite expect. And so, you know, I would I'd rummage through the door for, drawer for my favorite T-shirt, and I wouldn't be able to find it. I'd say, honey, I, I can't find my T-shirt. Oh, you, that old tattered, ragged thing, I threw it out. <laughs> what? And you know what I would do without another word, without another thought? I would just take a, make a beeline for the garbage can. And there I'd rummage through it. I'd find my precious T-shirt, and I'd bring that thing back in the house. And I would sometimes chastise her. Don't you throw my old T-shirt out. This is my favorite. This goes back to 1970-something. This, is, this was when I was doing this, or this is when I was that, you know? I fought with Shelly over stuff as though I wasn't married. Wasn't a husband. I fought with her as if I was still single. I had these strongholds that had been built when I was an individual, when I was a single guy. And I had stuff in my life that commemorated that. And I fought with her over it. But here's the thing. I'm married now. She's not just a person living in the house with me. The Bible even teaches me that there's a higher version of us, and it's called oneness. It's John and Shelley, one. It's a new identity. It's a new being. I'm a new person in this marriage. I'm husband. I'm, I'm not single. I'm not bachelor anymore. And I needed to grow into this new identity as a married man. And when I did, all kinds of good stuff developed in me and in our relationship. And now it's not just me and it's not just her, it's us, it's our relationship. We have a beautiful marriage. And that's a part of growing out of singleness into a relationship of marriage. And so it is with the Spirit. The Spirit will never leave you. Shelley never left me, and I'm so thankful. Early in our relationship, I wouldn't have blamed her. I was very immature. I was very childish. I was glad to be married, but I had a singles mentality. I had a John mentality. I had a selfish me mentality that needed to grow up and trust Shelly and sacrifice and contribute and cooperate with her. And in short, I needed to grow into my new identity as a married man. My single buddies thought like single guys. And do you know why they thought like single guys? Because they were single guys. But I was a married guy. 
And when I would spend time with the single guys, they wanted to do single things. They had single desires and single ways of seeking a good time. They were single through and through. They were committed only to themselves and nothing more. They tried, and I don't blame them. They wanted the old John back. They wanted the fun single guy because that was their level of life. Marriage to some of them was maybe the same life with the fringe benefits of singleness in marriage. Not a new life, a changed life, a different life. You've probably guessed by now that this is not just a real story of a married guy who lapsed into thinking and acting like he was single. This is the story of every Christian. This is the story not only of a married guy who lapsed into singleness, it's a story of every Christian who lapses into living like they're not Christian, who lapses in to that idea of singleness and not growing into and up to their new identity, their new existence in Christ. And so they live as though they aren't, when in fact they really are. And when we live as though we aren't, when in fact we really are, there becomes this strange combination. And it becomes almost a falsehood of the real through what we in the world call hypocrisy. Something you claim, but something you're not. That's what Paul's talking about here of the Corinthians. He's saying, you're in Christ. You're new creatures. But you're living like you aren't in Christ. You're living like the old creatures. You're living like you don't have the mind of Christ. You're living like the Spirit is not dwelling within you. I mention Romans 12 because we want transformation. Paul says there it's connected with the deepest, in the deepest sense with our worship, our acknowledgement of Him as God in our lives. Because when we acknowledge Him and His truth, then there must be a transformation. We're no longer conformed, let me hear, we're no longer conformed to the old life, the old ways, we're being transformed through the renewing of our minds because we have the mind of Christ. So many, maybe most of our problems we have are all in our head, if you will, all in our thinking. As Proverbs 23, 7 puts it, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts become you. Your attitudes define you. Your mental habits shape you. What's going on in your head 
governs what you do and how you live. As you think, so you are. And too easily, we accept unchristlike, very worldly ways fashioned and forged of this age in the way we think, the way we value things, the way we lead our lives. And we then are captured by fear of the economy, anger at the government, anxiety over work, contempt for other people's classes, races, people who aren't like us. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves very far away from the cross in which the Lord of glory, Jesus, Messiah, and Lord died so lowly and humbly because he wants that to be the great equalizer that brings us all together in the love and the forgiveness and the true power of God that's not based in all of those kinds of other distinctions of honor which are like medals that we pin upon the chest of self, which Paul has been arguing against in the previous chapter and by which the Corinthians are gauging the power of Christ and the words of Paul, and whether he's worth listening to. Because it's the content and truth of what he's saying. It is those ideas that transform people. And that is, by the way, this is just a little public service announcement, that is why I pour so much energy. I'm busy in other things. Don't, mind, don't misunderstand. But I put in a lot of extra time on these messages because this truth, is what is transforming because it's backed by a reality, a spiritual reality, a spiritual wisdom with the, which the world cannot know except as it sees Jesus Christ in you living out that reality. And so the main point is in Christ, we can and should think differently. You have the mind of Christ. You are a spiritual person because of the spirit within you. You're not a spiritual person because you love sunsets. You're not a spiritual person because you see God in sunsets. That isn't what we're talking about. We're not talking about that trendy, I'm not religious, I'm a spiritual person. That's a norm for self-centered American culture that is enthralled with fuzzy sensations and vague beliefs, beliefs of their own making. And that norm, fast becoming the norm of our culture, doesn't find God, but finds themselves uniquely fascinating. You, on the other hand, are a spiritual person because the Holy Spirit indwells you. And I want to put this into perspective. I want, if you can, and I think you can understand what I want to share with you, it will help you understand a lot of what Paul is talking about in different places 
in his letters. We belong to this age. Uh, This age, if you were standing in the Old Testament and you were listening to the prophets, with this age, you would be looking ahead to this point in which God is going to act in a dramatic way. And it's called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And when God exercises his rule and his reign, and to many back here looking ahead to the day of the Lord, they would expect the Messiah to come and to inaugurate, to initiate God's irresistible reign on earth. Set things right. Punish the wicked. Elevate the righteous. And create the world that had been ruined by sin. Are you with me? This is pretty much the message of the Old Testament. The Messiah, the kingdom of God, is right here. But then something extraordinary happened. Jesus Christ came. The Messiah, bringing the kingdom of God, exhibiting the power of God in acts of miraculous healing and in fulfillment of prophecy. And yet, he did not bring military might to overthrow the reigning powers. He spoke of a whole different kind of kingdom, a whole different kind of rule and reign, one that wasn't just for the special or the unique, but for everybody. He called all people to him. And you know what they did with that? They crucified him. In fact, that's what Paul's referring to. He says, if they were so smart, if they were the wise, the rulers of this age, remember when we read that a moment ago? They wouldn't have crucified him. But they didn't understand because of the mystery. The mystery of what God was doing. And so they crucified him. But he rose from the dead. You can't keep a good man down, especially when he is the man, the last man, the last Adam. He rose from the dead, and you know what he did? When we were in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, Peter, after the Holy Spirit was poured out to them on Pentecost, the the crowds were amazed at their transformation, their power, their message what they were witnessing. And Peter stood up and spoke to them. And in verse 33 of his message, he didn't have verses, but we do. He said, he who has been exalted to the right hand of God, speaking of Jesus Christ, he has received the promised spirit from the Father, this unique privilege, this fulfillment of the promise. And he has now poured out this very gift, this very promised spirit upon us. That's what you're witnessing. That's the reality. That's this incredible new thing. And you see, when that spirit was poured out, the age to come, the age that was only going to be inaugurated by the day of the Lord has now been inaugurated by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there is this strange, if you will, overlap of the ages. There's an already and a not yet. 
And that's why Paul even says, we speak of a mystery. In verse 7 of what we read in chapter 2. Because he says, before the ages, this these two ages, before the ages, in other places, before the foundation of the world, God ordained that this is the way he was going to operate. This is the way he was going to do it. Now, this creates a very unique situation. We are in this period here, this, if you will, overlap of the ages. You, in Christ, are a product of the age to come. If you don't have the Holy Spirit you, are, you, just, you and I just belong to this age, but you do have the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit indwells you, and the Spirit is operating in your life. And so here we have this overlap. Before Jesus Christ, you are a natural person. You are not a spiritual person. You may think you're spiritual. You may try to be spiritual. You're not a spiritual person because the Holy Spirit, in terms of chronological time, the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out until Pentecost. And in terms of the time of our life, before Christ, you don't have the Spirit. In Christ, you have the Spirit. And so now you are a spiritual person. And that's the expression Paul uses here in what he's saying. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for just a moment. This is important, and I I don't want it to be complicated. I don't really think it is. But I want you to be grounded. Some of these things you have to think about. Let them dwell deeply within your heart. In verse 42, Paul says, It is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is in dishonor. But it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. If you made a column on the left-hand side, you could list all the ways that the body sown is weak in dishonor, right? And then you could, on the right-hand column, you could list all the ways in which the body raised is described in power, in glory. And then we get to verse 44. It is sown or buried a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. These are the very expressions that Paul is using here in chapter 2 and 3. The natural body is literally the soulish body. Now let me explain. Notice what he says in verse... Let me, let, let, let me read verse 45 now. Where did this natural and spiritual body or natural existence is better and spiritual existence. Where did it come from? It came from our existence in first Adam and last Adam. That's what he says in verse 45. Look at it with me. Oh, I lost my place. How anticlimactic. 
45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a, became a living being. That's the word soul. It goes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. When God created Adam, he breathed into him and he became a living being. And the word soul, as Paul uses it here in verse 45, goes back to Genesis, which uses the same language. And there, the soul, if you will, or the animating power of our lives in Adam is described. Okay? That's the natural existence. That's the soulish existence that characterizes this present age. It's fallen human nature. Are you with me? Now, as Paul talks about the resurrection, he describes the power of the spiritual existence raised in Christ, and he anchors it not in first Adam, he anchors it in the last Adam. Not the second to be followed by the third and the fourth and the fifth. The last, the final, the complete Adam, Jesus Christ. And he is life-giving spirit. And all of the attributes, when it talks about a soulish person or a spiritual person, it's not talking about the material content or constitution of who we are. It's talking about our realm and power. As natural or soulish people in the first Adam, we're suited to this age. We're not suited to the age to come. And what God is going to finally do, and what he's going to finally do is going to be like that atomic energy-driven machine or whatever you want to imagine. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit is going to be the dynamic constitution and power of our lives. Now, I know you'd love me to talk on about all kinds of other little questions, but I just want to lay the groundwork because when Paul is here in chapter 2 and then on into the opening of chapter 3, talking about the spiritual person and then the soulish or natural person, he's contrasting this age and the age to come which has dawned in the outpouring of the Spirit and which is relevant to who we already are. We are both saint and sinner. We are both, you know, natural and spiritual, if you will. But we are to become, sometimes Paul calls it sanctified. What's that but a word for to become more and more like Christ, to find our identity in Christ. This is why when you read through the letters of Paul, for example, Romans chapter 8. Write this down if you're taking note. Because I, I won't take the time. I'm running out of time to read it. But we, we really ought to read it. But in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, Paul says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind. Interesting, huh? He says, don't set your mind on the things of the flesh. Now, flesh is not a material part of me. Flesh, just like in the Old Testament, is used of our weakness, our human frailty, the fact that we're mortal, the fact that we're going we're gonna to dry up, shrivel up like the grass. All flesh 
says Isaiah in Romans 40, all flesh is grass. And so when we're living in the flesh, we're living in our own strength. We're saying, I know what's best, Lord. Just move aside. I'll call you in if I need you. See? So he says, don't set your mind on the things of the flesh. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And he contrasts them. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23. Write that down and read it today. It starts in verse 16. And Paul says, walk after the Spirit. Now, why didn't he say set your mind on the Spirit? He could have. When he says walk after the Spirit, he's saying conduct your life in the power of the Spirit. But it is a very practical image. You walk after the one to whom you are a disciple. You follow. Follow the Spirit. But then he contrasts that. He says, don't walk after the flesh. And he contrasts the kind of things that happen when the Spirit is the influence, is the one we follow, as opposed to the flesh. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be inebriated. Don't be drunk. Don't be drunk on wine. Now he's trying to set up a very clear picture here by contrast. He says, Here's what really ought to inebriate you. The Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And in the context, it's all the beautiful imagery that you associate with the fruit of the Spirit. Songs and just joy. So, walk, set your mind on, be filled with. These are all ways of trying to say, you belong to the Spirit. The Spirit has moved into your house. Don't fight the Spirit. Every time He tries to move a piece of furniture, you run over and you jump on it and you say, I'm not moving. You can't take my favorite chair. Paul's saying, no, collaborate. Follow the Spirit. Let Him lead your thinking. Let him inebriate you. Let him fill your heart, your mind, your thoughts. Is that clear? This is why also Paul says, put off the old person. If I personalize it, it would be like saying, Paul, Paul, Paul saying, John, put off the old John and put on the new John in Jesus Christ. You know, you got that beautiful uh, Maserati or whatever in your garage. Lamborghini, that would be my favorite, I suppose. You got that Lamborghini in the chart, in the, but you, you continue to ride around in that old jalopy. You got to see yourself differently. You got to see yourself in the light of Christ and his cross and his resurrection and his spirit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14. I'm just going to tell you what they say, but write them down. He, and, and, and he spent the whole chapter telling us that we have every spiritual gift in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And then he talks about who Christ is in the whole plan of God. 
And he goes back to before the ages and he talks about how God has ordained what he's doing in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9 and 10, he says, Jesus Christ is the center of life, the center of time, the center of history. He is going to be over all. And then in 13, he says, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you were sealed, he says, sealed with the Spirit. You were stamped. The jar was sealed. Like when you get those childproof, you know, aspirin bottles. It's, you're sealed to that inheritance. And he says, the Spirit is your erebone. That's the Greek word, the down payment, the pledge. And that really is, isn't that what a ring is? When I put that ring on, yeah, I've already told you, I had a little trouble growing into my identity. But that was my pledge to become that man. And that is the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, what happens when we live like we're a product of this age and not a product of God, His work of the Spirit. Well, we're people of the flesh. Sarkikos. We're fleshly. Your identity in Christ is what the Spirit pursues. The Spirit is all about Jesus. I know, I know, after all these many years, various churches, listening to the whole range of people, those upcoming and those who have passed and gone home to be with the Lord. I know the kind of the spirit, the character, if you will, of the church. And I know we have this, this part of us that wants to see the spirit. We want him to kind of blow things up for Christ. You know, I want him to just kick down the doors and I want major miracles and all of that. I don't, think, I don't think the Spirit's operating in that power right now because we want to see Him and He wants to see Jesus. Everything that the Spirit seeks is to magnify the person of Jesus Christ in your life and in mine. And so, you may notice the Spirit, but you'll definitely see Jesus. Because that is our Savior. And that is the Savior of the world. And that is what people need to come to Jesus. Because as much as we're all about our regimens and our pursuits and stuff, we're all going to come to naught. That part of us, which is the nature of this age. And that's why we're resurrected to a new age. Because we can't do it on our own. Shelley's like the Holy Spirit in my life. Again, just to illustrate, I don't have my theology wrong. Just her presence has an impact on me. Not to mention the nudges that she gives me under the table. Or the way she seeks to make me better, a better version of myself when she introduces me to a godly way of seeing things. If you're single, I'm not trying to 
rush you into marriage or say that marriage is God. I'm just trying to illustrate the best way I know how to kind of give you a feel for this new identity that we have in Christ. When I walk outside my house in the evening, sometimes I have to take out the trash, you know, because they're going to pick it up in the morning and I haven't done it. So I'm, I'm going out late after the sun is set. Every time I stop out, step out in the dark with those bags of trash, my, my neighbor's light goes on. They have this light sensitive thing, you know. And I, it, it always kind of gets me, but it helps me see where I need to go. You know, if I stand there real still, the light goes off. That's another example to me. By the way, if you're in a bathroom that works like that and you sit real still, you might be in trouble. But, <laughs> but in a way, that's the way the Spirit operates in our lives. The light comes on to help guide us, direct us, give us vision. But sometimes we just get so comfortable that we aren't taking risks of faith. We forget that the Spirit's mission in our life is our mission in the world, to be like Christ, not just for our own glory, for His glory. And the way that happens is when we're touching others, sharing Christ with others, helping the needy, going beyond our comfort zone, and you'll find that the Spirit will show up in great power, great power, but you won't experience if you're just laying back and sitting still. You stand with me. Spirit's been moving even here in this morning. You may have just been kind of standing on the sidelines and the Spirit is challenging you to give Christ first place in your life. It's a step of faith. It's a step of commitment. And the Spirit will meet you there when you make Christ Lord of your life by acknowledging Him as your Savior. If this morning that's the desire of your heart, because it has to be your desire, the Spirit can't, He may twist your arm a little, but it has to be your desire, your decision, your will. But if it is, I'm going to be here along with pastoral staff, elders and their wives. Any of us would be God-given to talk to you, explain to you, pray with you, and help you in that first step to make Christ Lord of your life and Savior today. Maybe there's another area of your life in which God's calling you to commit more greatly to who you are in Christ, if so. Pray with us. Let's make it official, as it were. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, thank you that because of what Jesus has accomplished, we know the Spirit, we know you, we discern these truths, and we have a new identity and new history. In Jesus' name, we praise you. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you.